Welcome to a special bonus episode of Sustainably Influenced. We held a live episode as part of the London Podcast Festival back in September. The episode is entitled Sustainable Wellness, Nurturing Our Planet and Ourselves. And in this episode, we talk about sustainable living and personal well-being. And yes, I am aware that that can seem like quite a heavy subject, but we're going to try and do our best to keep it light and fun. It goes without saying, but we're all increasingly focused on environmental concerns and personal health. It's crucial to understand how these two topics connect and influence our lives. And sustainability is way more than a buzzword. It's a way of living that considers the long-term health of our planet. Wellness, on the other hand, encompasses the holistic well-being of individuals, both physically and mentally. Today, we're here to examine how these two areas converge and how they can collectively contribute to a better future. Why is this intersection so significant? Well, it's because the choices we make in our daily lives regarding sustainable practices can have a profound impact on our well-being and vice versa. From cleaner environments to healthier lifestyles, the interplay between sustainability and wellness holds the potential to improve the quality of life for us and for generations to come. Joining me on this panel are my wonderful guests who bring their expertise and insights into this fascinating topic. We'll discuss eco-anxiety, sustainable living tips, resilience in the face of environmental challenges, and even the psychology of fashion in the context of sustainability. Our aims are to provide you with the valuable information and perspectives that can help you navigate these complex issues in a meaningful way. Welcome to my guests, Chloe Pierre, author, creator, and founder of the wellness platform Thyself, Shakayla Forbes-Bell, author and fashion psychologist, and Lydia Bolton, fashion designer and creator. Let's get into Sustainably Influenced Live. Joining me today are my wonderful guests who bring their expertise and insights into this fascinating topic. We'll discuss eco-anxiety, sustainable living tips, resilience in the face of environmental challenges, and even the psychology of fashion in the context of sustainability. Our aim is to sort of provide you with valuable information and the perspectives that can help you to navigate these complex issues in a really meaningful way. Let's first of all kind of start by discussing the connection between individual well-being and the health of our planet. We live in a society that's plagued by stress. Me, for one, do not see how stressed I am as I've sat down here tonight. Anxiety and other mental health issues in so, so many forms. For instance, spending time in nature, which is often a product of sustainable practices, can reduce stress and boost your mental health. Studies have shown that spending as little as 20 minutes outside a day can help to reduce stress. Moreover, sustainable practices can also have a direct impact on your physical health. And I think that this is something that we don't think about enough. It's we always, we just think about the planet, we're not thinking about ourselves. And that's, this is why this conversation is so important for me. Taking our air quality, for example, reduce pollution due to sustainable initiatives, uh, which we'll be able to hear about later on in season eight of Sustainably Influenced Out Now, can lead to cleaner air, which can lead to a better respiratory health and fewer cases of asthma and other respiratory diseases. I was doing some research for this show and I came across a really interesting journal, like fun fact about me, I'm a bit of a sciencey geek. I like to read medical journals as a hobby and I don't know why. But um, a study published in the New England, uh, New England Journal of Medicine estimates that cleaner air can lead to an increase in life expectancy. So I want to move on now to the sort of guest portion of the evening. And starting with you, Chloe, your platform is all about wellness. And I thought that you would provide so much insight for tonight. 
Um, can you shed a little bit of light on how individual well-being and the health of the planet are actually interconnected and how can sustainable living positively impact personal wellness? Yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. Um, you said I will share a lot of insights. I don't know about that. I will do my best, maybe one or two. So how I think it works. So for me, wellness actually comes down to awareness. Awareness then manifest into choices. So for me, when it comes to sustainable living and how that directly correlates to well-being, it's about how you choose to live your life. It's the choices that you make on a daily basis. And of course, that will naturally affect the planet that we live on. I don't think it's fair to, you know, think that everything has an endless resource or it comes from an endless resource. And I think being aware of that every day so whether that's how you use the internet or if you know things that you choose to buy products that you choose to buy things that you put into the your body things that you even say all of these and do you know all of these come down to well-being and it does affect not just the planet but also the people around us so you know, it's a ripple effect. How you behave, the choices that you make affect your well-being and then it affects the people around us, which then affects the community and in doing so, it affects the world that we live in. So for me, that's how I see the train of... I don't know what I'm thinking right now. <laughs> but um, that's what I think. It's just like a chain effect and if we look at all of these things and it will have a direct correlation. Yeah, definitely agree with you. I think that there's a massive link between positive impacts on your mental health and your physical health and how sustainability kind of plays into that. And I think I didn't really want this to be so much about fashion, but I think we tend to neglect fashion when we're talking about wellness because we do buy things to make ourselves better. And that's why you are here because this is where you provide all the wonderful insight. So I do want to talk about fashion just a little bit and we will talk a little bit more about fashion later on. But I think there is a huge link between how we consume and eco-anxiety. Shakela, how do sustainable fashion choices affect our mental wealth, well-being? And what psychological benefits can people gain from making environmentally conscious fashion choices? Yeah, so hi everyone and thank you so much Bianca for having me. So yeah, like you mentioned, our clothes do have a huge impact on the way we feel. A lot of people just see them for their aesthetic purpose, but I'm sure you'll know if you change something very simple, wear your favorite outfit, wear a different type of, you know, a color, different style, it can have a drastic impact on the way you show up in the world and the type of person you are presenting. And the same is said for when you're making sustainable choices. So there was a study, very recent study actually in the last year between actually my mentor, Dr. Aurora Bardi, and she was looking at the level of happiness we feel when we're wearing something that's labeled sustainable versus when we're labeled something that's labeled as fast fashion. And in that study, participants got to wear t-shirts with those different labels and they rated their subjective happiness before and after they wore it. And they found that those who were wearing the t-shirts labeled sustainable said that they felt happier and the results kind of implied that you know when we make these choices that are pro-social it makes us feel happy and if you look at all of the surveys people will say that they want to be sustainable they support sustainable initiatives but they often act against those kind of initiatives and you have that bias there that confirmation bias that they're trying to override but when they are actually actively acting on those wishes, they feel better. But we need to look at the reasons why they feel better, right? So there's different types of motivations behind why people are sustainable. There's people who are just, they just live it. They live the lip, they live what they're talking about. 
they want to embrace it. It just makes them feel good. People like you, Bianca, who just like, you know, they're passionate about being sustainable. So when their passions align with their actions, they're going to feel good. But there's other types of people who just doing it because right now it's, it's popular to be sustainable, right? It's a pro-social behavior. It's something that everyone is doing. And because as humans, we have that internal desire to belong. We want to fit in. We want to do what's right. That's where they get their joy from. So that is what's driving them to be sustainable. So I think it's important for us to understand the nuances behind why we're sustainable. And yes, it can bring you joy, but it's great to know where that joy comes from because then from a brand perspective, they can understand, okay, we need to target different types of people because if you're just doing it because it's a moral good and you're just saying like, you know, this is your duty, stop buying fast fashion, just be a good person. If that's not something that's in like intrinsic to that person, then they're gonna not wanna do it. And there's something called like, um, kind of like pat on the back effect, where if you do something sustainable in one aspect, you'll just carry on that good feeling for the rest of the day. So say if you took the bus here instead of driving, then, oh, okay, then you go and see like a massive sale at Shein, you're gonna, okay, I can buy that because I've already done my, my good green act for the day, right? So there's a lot of different kind of psychological motivations going on, but what I'm trying to do with fashion psychology and with my book, Big Dress Energy, which is available on sale, oh, no. um, is, yeah. <laughs> which is basically trying to change the way we think about clothes, right? Start to see them as a tool to change the way you think, to empower you, to help the way that you show up in rooms, help the way that you project who you are. And I think that's where we need to be focusing on, that kind of mindset shift, not just chastising people for, for doing wrong, showing them that the things that they're earning and buying, it's very valuable and it's meaningful and um, it should go beyond just one wear and dumping it. Wow. That's all I can say after that. Um, <laughs> just a little bit blown away there. Sticking on the fashion trail, I think, Lydia, it would be good for you to provide some insight there here. You're a designer and you've explored sustainable and ethical fashion in everything that you create and you're wearing one of your designs now. I know that it was even before even asking you. I just know that it's yours. Can you share some examples of how sustainable fashion practices not only benefit the environment, but also contribute to, I want to say, more the wellness and happiness of both the people that are wearing it and the creators of the garments because I think we often forget them. Yeah, so thanks so much for having me, Bianca. This is so fun to be here. I'm Lydia Bolton and I do upcycling. I'm all about remaking secondhand and wanted textiles and giving them a new life. And I do this through selling products, teaching workshops and kind of upskilling other people and then working with brands. So for, yeah, for this question, I think it's, there's so much linking with sustainable fashion and with like personal wellness and what kind of I really thought about with this question was when I do my workshops obviously the main theme of the workshop is to learn about how to mend and to repair something but the main bit of feedback I get is that people have found it such like a meditative experience and the kind of this connection of using their hands and how much of in our day-to-day -day lives we don't really use our hands other than, you know, going on our phone. And actually you kind of put your phone down and actually you're just making something with your hands. And this mending repair is just such like a traditional sustainable technique which was the norm like you know 50 60 years ago but is a something that we've lost in our day-to-day -day lives but actually and like that just links so much with like mindfulness and with wellness and that kind of using your hands and mending and also being sustainable this is something that we explored I think two seasons ago on sustainably influence where we started to look at the 
jobs and trends and things that we were seeing coming out of the pandemic where so many people had gone back to these kind of more traditional jobs and left the tech space because going through the pandemic made so many people realise that I don't want to be doing that anymore. I want to be using my hands. I want to create something. I want to make one-off beautiful things that take a long time, cost a little bit more, but you're going to have them forever. And I think it's amazing to see that so many people have gone down that route because I think not only is it promoting that individuality that is so lost in mass consumption, but that sustainability aspect of it as well. So, yeah, so moving the conversation on just a little bit, we're going to now talk about the heavier part of the subject matter, meaning eco-anxiety, but also eco-perfectionism, which I think is, again, a huge thing that isn't really talked about in mainstream media. You hear about things like greenwashing, eco-anxiety, and you think you understand them, but there's so much more to these to this topic area. So, hands up, everybody in here, have you heard of eco-perfectionism? Okay, that's really good. I'm going to explain it. Um, that makes me feel much better. Maybe you haven't, but have you, uh, you might have thought about the concept, but it's put simply, it's the idea that you can only take part in the sustainability movement if you're living an environmentally flawless life, which kind of almost contradicts a little bit what you were saying about that pat on the back um, was it pat on the back defect, did you say? It's not really called anything, but it's basically the research says that, yeah, if you feel like you've done something good once, you give yourself a pat on the back and then you feel like you don't need yeah. to. Yeah, whereas this this kind of mindset is almost, almost on the flip, but also kind of leans into it a little bit. So personally, I think that it's something that we all have to let go of. Early on in my journey with living a more conscious lifestyle, and in the very first episode of Sustainably Influenced four years ago, our first ever guest challenged us to not use plastic for an entire week. Um, I fell at the first hurdle and messed up three minutes into the challenge. So, yeah, that made me feel great. I was so, so hard on myself. I was beating myself up constantly over this matter. And it was a silly, silly, simple thing that I messed up on. I went to a coffee shop down from my office, forgot to take my keep cup got a plastic cup and that was it something really simple that you don't even think about but in your daily life you're just going on about as normal but it was that idea that I wasn't being perfect I felt that I needed to change so many things but it's more about the collective change and if everybody's making small changes and how it compounds and I can see somebody in the front row who's wearing a sustainable outfit that I know that is that used to be in my wardrobe <laughs> but yeah so I think so many of us in this room have this feeling whether it's the form of feeling really obsessive about reducing your carbon footprint but not really knowing how to do that or not using single-use plastic like that was my big thing and not creating food waste I think that's a huge one especially in today's society in my personal opinion I feel it's just something we really do need to let go of so the idea is progress not eco-perfection Eco-anxiety is a term which has gained a lot of traction in recent years. It refers to the feelings of worry, fear and stress caused by climate change and the breakdown of our planet. It's becoming increasingly prevalent in today's society, especially among the younger generations. And a study by the Woodland Trust shows that 65% of people are worried about climate change, with 25%, so one in four people, identifying as really worried. And women, around 70% of women, are more worried than men, around 60%. 20% of people aged 16 to 24, and I found this one really interesting, would be willing to have fewer children than they would like in order to address climate change. For me, I look back at that and think, 
that's 16 to 24 year olds considering a really, really huge life decision before they've even started living. And I think to me that was a really wild stat, so I really wanted to include it. Many of us have so many personal stories and experiences related to eco-anxiety, whether it's feeling overwhelmed by the dire predictions of grappling with a sense of powerlessness in the face of environmental issues. It's essential to acknowledge these feelings, I think, and to start a conversation about them, because just looking around this room, it just shows that we're not alone in this. Coping strategies are really crucial when it comes to managing eco-anxiety. And that's where I think I want to talk to you a little bit more about that, Chloe. So techniques like mindfulness and engaging in climate activism and seeking support from friends and mental health professionals can be really, really effective ways to navigate these emotions and channel them into more positive action. But Chloe, so eco-anxiety is becoming increasingly prevalent, as I said, especially among young people. How can we foster a sense of well-being and resilience in individuals who may be struggling with eco-anxiety while still inspiring them to take positive environmental action? Yeah, so I wanted to start off this question or to answer this question with the fact that eco-anxiety or any anxiety that you have around like climate change, climate control, sustainability is completely rational. It's a real thing. It's almost like your body's alarm at at saying something doesn't feel right and usually you're right and it is right you know you don't have to go very far to see the effects of climate change and my issue with it is that there are so many media platforms uh, articles and just information out there and it's focused on the doom and of course that's essential to know but there's less options and less information around what we can be doing. I also want to add that there's a lot of focus on the individual and also on communities and not enough focus and not enough demand on the bigger uh, companies that they have a massive part in this narrative. They have a massive part to play. And I just don't feel as if the focus is necessarily on them. And even if it is, there's not enough demand as to say, do something about it. And I think as a younger person or just a person in general that has eco-anxiety, I just want them to know that they're not alone, for one. Two, there is something that you can do about it, but it's also good to recognise that it's not just your role or your thing to, you know, change. Control isn't just for one person. And as long as I believe you're doing what is in your control and what you're able to do that's the best thing that you can do when it comes down to perfectionism again I just think having that kind of mindset is great as well you know what can I physically do what can I do that is sustainable yes I can go and you know try and not use plastic every day but at the same time is that sustainable am I going to be able to wake up with that same energy every day to do it probably not you know I feel very bad sometimes that a lot of the products I actually had one night when I was like yeah, I just don't want to use plastic anymore. And everywhere I could see, everywhere I looked around, there was plastic. It's wild. When you, and, you, when know, you, when you know, I have a two-year-old. There's so much plastic. And I don't know how, but he breaks it all. And there's like little bits of plastic everywhere. It's insane. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I'm whispering, because he's not here, but, you know. Um, but it's true, what you're scary. saying. scary. I'm when like, is he going to come running through the door? <laughs> <laughs> just seems scary. Just come yeah, running, running through. But when, when you think about the amount of plastic that's out there and that's a really simple one when we think about it in the grand scheme of things the amount of things that 
we could probably give up whether it's buying clothes altogether or do, buying nothing new for a year or only buying organic or taking the train and not driving or not taking cabs um, or buses and things. But plastic to me is always the top one that people say. And it's yeah. always the one that people trip up on. Because yeah. I think it's the idea that you have to give up everything. There's plastic in your clothes. Literally. There's plastic in your beauty products. I mean, I don't want to scare people, but there's plastic in your water. Like, yeah. it's, it's everywhere, you know, and... It is scary, but what you can do is the most important thing. And when it comes to eco-anxiety, I'm just trying to think what else that you can do. I think being mindful is one thing, speaking up about it. So having spaces that you can speak about it confidently, or even if you can't be confident, just saying, what is it that I can do? Am I the only person that feels like this? Speaking about it within your own communities, your own families, trying to reduce waste in that way. And then putting pressure I, I'm a firm believer like go to the source like it's not us necessarily doing things we're buying into these things some of us don't have the, like the choice to buy you know more sustainable things or to completely reduce our plastic usage you know so put the pressure back on the people that are doing it put pressure on the people that are serving you water that has plastic particles in it put pressure on the people that are mining in the sea and doing horrendous things to our planet like those people need to be hung <laughs> drawn and quartered yeah okay yeah <laughs> i do yeah i think it's really evil because i mean if we don't do that then we don't have enough to live in so, so i mean if you're the person doing that then i mean yeah. chop chop i think one of the other things to think about when it comes to eco-anxiety going back to the start of the show where i spoke about going outside and i think for me that's a really big one because and it's just a stress reliever just across the board whereas if when i go outside and i spend time in nature and you just sit there for a couple of minutes in silence not scrolling on your phone and you get to appreciate the beauty around you for me that reminds me that i need to look after the planet but it doesn't do it in a way that absolutely terrifies me i think that's been a huge thing for me i just for a moment just want to see because you've mentioned your own personal story and something that scares you with eco anxiety so either of you want to share your own tips or not tips your personal experiences or something that has scared you I think for me when I was like researching for this talk I came across a study from the University of Plymouth and it said that wearing your clothes can release more microfibers into the atmosphere than washing them and well we're all like, going naked why? then like <laughs> let's just be nudist then look because like what are you supposed to do with that <laughs> And it's very stressful, and I'm kind of echoing everything that Chloe said, is that, you know, you can start getting into a, a hole of, like, thinking and just, like, spiral out of all sorts and just think there's no hope. And there is that a big issue of, yeah, personal responsibility. We are incredibly individualistic as a, as a culture, and we're becoming more so every single year. So that idea of having, you know, your own carbon footprint and, you know, it's just down to you, that's stressful, and that's something that has been perpetuated for a long time. And there's so many apps now teaching you how to calculate your own carbon footprint I think they serve an amazing role in the community and it does help you if you are somebody looking to make the change but if you are somebody who has the fear associated with it it can almost exacerbate that and make you feel a little bit more nervous so, yeah. yeah exactly and there's only so much we can do individually anyway so one thing I try to do is a lot of grounding techniques which is basically a, like a type of mindfulness practice that just reminds you to be here in the moment I think a lot of times if we think too far in the future about where we're going to be in five, ten years, you know, we've all heard all the stats, like we've seen all the reports. It's scary. So we need to try to 
you know, stay present in the moment, mm. take those deep breaths, think about what we're seeing, what we're hearing, what we're smelling, and really just try to be present. Because in a sense, like, every day is not promised, right? Like, we can only do so much for the time that we have now. We don't even know if we're going to be here in the next few years to even, like, deal with these issues. So we can only try to just live as good as we can now and try to be respectful of ourselves and be grateful for the choices and the decisions that we are making now. I think oftentimes we don't give ourselves that pat on the back, you know, that we should. Making those changes, we always think there can be more, there can be more. And I do think a lot of sustainable content can be quite harsh, um, you know. Yeah, so I think there needs to be room to understand that people are they're fallible and they are trying to grow and trying to learn, but just remembering to be to be quite present. Before you share your story, Lydia, on the back of what you said, a lot of the content out there around sustainability is incredibly scary. And for me, one of the things that I did was to actually mute certain things and certain people on social media because their content is so radical. Not that I don't believe in what they do, I do. But for me, it became so confusing and so almost traumatic to watch that it used to leave me feeling really down and down on myself thinking I'm not doing enough how do I make the world a better place and it's so hard because that type of content it can have the opposite effect on someone who's not already like inclined to be sustainable it can make push to push them to the other side as well and it's a shame because those people they do have a lot of insight and they have a lot of empathy and they they understand but a lot of the times people are, in general, humans are incredibly selfish. They're like inward looking, they think about themselves. And that's why with fashion psychology, I try to teach that, you know, sustainable behaviors have a personal benefit. They can help you align your beliefs with your actions, make you feel whole, um, just make you feel more content, make you feel more grounded. And that's, I feel like that's the avenue that we need to get the content in to understand on your personal level, on your day-to-day, how can these actions benefit you rather than thinking very doom and gloom because again it's so easy to just scroll past it even if it is valid information yeah definitely yeah and I, on that like then you're coming from fear and I think that's not actually that motivating like with your content it's much better to be inspiring and then people feel that they're motivated to change from a positive place than from like that negative fear place yeah I think that's the same with like content that is really scary it then actually just puts me in a bigger spin of eco-anxiety I, I feel like it yeah, the whole time, not the whole time, a lot of the time, eco-anxiety and eco-perfectionism. And I think even though I do upcycling, I then think, but this textile still exists on the planet. And yes, I'm giving it a new life, but then where does it go next? So it's really hard to not overthink your own practice and think, actually, what could I do better? And then kind of the more you learn, the more you can then really feel like that. But I went to a panel talk a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, and they spoke about doomism. And I hadn't heard too much about doomism. But it's that feeling that we've lost the climate battle. And they were all saying how dangerous this feeling is. And actually, it's really dangerous to feel helpless. And that's really what large corporations, they really rely on us feeling powerless. And they really rely on us feeling like too scared to take action. And and actually how important it is to try and not feel like that and really like focus on what actually you can do like what you were saying Chloe what actually actions we can take to really combat that feeling and it was really motivating because you know when you go to these talks you do feel a bit like doomism 
and I do feel like that a lot but then it was so kind of like motivating and inspiring to me like actually no like it's really dangerous to feel like that and really try hard to not feel like that and then again yeah focusing on progress over perfectionism and actually all about the collective change and my mum always says this quote which is like my individual action won't make a difference at a whole line of people and it's just like a really good reminder that how all of us together all of our actions add up and actually it is all about about the collective but yeah also very much agree with the fact that it, so much of the ownership is put on us as individuals 100%. yeah I always think back to that one of the early statements that I saw when I was starting to look more into more conscious living which was at the time it was seven billion straws when you talk about giving up plastic straws and everybody saying oh well, well giving up straws isn't going to do anything because I'm doing a male voice because that's generally where I hear <laughs> sorry guys um but you hear a lot of people say oh well what's the point of me giving up plastic straws how's that going to help the environment but if you think about it on the basis of each individual person on the planet if they gave up one straw in favor of something more eco-friendly we all know the paper ones aren't great guys like they they turn to mulch but pasta straws aren't too bad they're great but finding something as an eco alternative look at that compounded change that we can then remove that amount of plastic from the planet or remove that production or find a new use for it but yeah so i think thank you so much for sharing your insight and your experiences because i think it makes it so much more relatable for everybody here and everyone listening when our panelists and our experts share that we're just human and we feel these things too. So taking it back to fashion again and back to consumer behaviour more specifically for a moment. We're in the middle of fashion week, as I said, um, and the whole purpose of fashion week is to look towards the new season and essentially think about the things that we can buy in a couple of months and what's coming after. Um, and we're seeing so many designers setting the trends for the upcoming season. And then we see the high street take those trends and then see fashion brands or fast fashion brands I should say adopting these trends and pushing it out to the mass market so Shakela, I think most of us here are aware I'd say somewhat aware of the role that the fashion industry plays in contributing to the environmental crisis with fashion as an industry being like the second biggest polluter on the planet how can we address the eco-anxiety related to fast fashion and consumerism and what strategies can individuals use to mitigate these feelings yeah, I think it's all about changing your approach to clothing. And it's hard because, like I said, we're humans, we're social. And studies have shown that when we wear clothes that are trendy, people positively respond to us. You know, they want to be with us. They feel like we're cool and want to be part of the clique. So uh, there's a lot of, like, positive social feedback we get from, you know, being trendy and get, get buying into these pieces. Of course, we get that boost from novelty, you know, getting something shiny and new. So there are a lot of things to combat but I think if we look at the flip side and think about the positive things that we can ben get and benefit from shopping secondhand, from repairing, upcycling like it's so interesting what you were talking about Lydia or you're like repairing and mending there's a theory called endowment theory in psychology and it basically says that you place greater value on things that you have customized and that increased level of ownership makes you feel better and you put higher value on it so I think having that knowledge out there and letting people understand that if they can have something they already own and twist it to make it new and make it trendy then that's something that they can own and see themselves as more valuable by extension of owning it um, and again it's about understanding that your clothes are 
communicative, right? Your clothes are the language of you. And I always say I don't like the idea of having maybe too much of a minimalist stripped down wardrobe or like too much of a capsule collection because as humans, we are multifaceted, right? Our garments should be as expressive as we are. So start looking at your wardrobe as like the story of you and think about how you can be creative with it, mix and match things, create something new with things that you already own. Because again, you're getting that positive benefits from novelty and you're getting the psychological benefits of being creative. Creativity is such a powerful tool. Um, it's been found to increase the well-being and happiness specifically of young adults. But I feel like that's not getting pushed enough. We just see these images of these models every, every season with these new collections and we just see our clothes in that way. We need to encourage people to almost be their own stylists and to celebrate people for being creative in their own light because we're kind of benefited in one way from being individualist because we're allowing people to satisfy that and desire that we do have also for being unique and for standing out because as much as we want to fit in we also want to be noticed too so maybe we need to celebrate that level of it and being like creative and not following certain trends exactly as they are but embracing them in a different light so it's just encouraging people to use their wardrobes almost like a playground and that will help satisfy that desire that they have by maybe not jumping to purchase like a new collection. I think one of the things for me when I look at my wardrobe um, over the years, I've been many different people. I feel like your wardrobe expresses who you are at that time. And at the moment, I'm in, what was the compliment that the lovely lady gave me earlier? I'm in my Beyonce Renaissance era. <laughs> I was trying to manifest tickets when I, uh, when I got these trousers for a show that I definitely wasn't going to. But like a lot of the things that I've got at the moment, I've realised are so different to how I would have dressed in my 20s. And... I see the person that I am now. She's a bit more put together, <laughs> I think. Um, well, at least in my wardrobe, I see more put together. There's a lot more things that where I've chosen comfort over the trend now and where I'm conscious about what I buy. I buy things that I know I'm going to have a long time, even if they are a little bit more wacky. But if I do fall out of love with something, I tend to put it in a suitcase under my bed. And <laughs> when I want to bring it out again or a change of season, I think, oh my God, I forgot I had that. It's like shopping your own wardrobe. And then you look at different ways to style it with new things in your wardrobe or other things that you've bought. And then if I know that it doesn't fit me anymore or I've got to a point where I know this doesn't serve me as the person that I am now, I then stick it on a resale platform. Like, hashtag we love vintage. Um, <laughs> but no, thank you for sharing that. So sticking with fashion for a bit. So Lydia, out of everybody here, I think you probably have the most like sustainability-focused platform, I'd say. And working as a designer, I'm just like blown away with, because I think to myself, how on earth do you deal with eco-anxiety and manage this as a designer in the sustainability space as a very large content creator because you are open to so much scrutiny? But what, what advice can you offer to our listeners who may be dealing with this? I think it kind of really goes off so much about what Shakela says. Like, I think, and just like leaning into like your own personal style and your personal self. And I... Yeah, feel like when I go to events and things, sometimes I feel like, oh, I should really get some new shoes because, you know, everyone is wearing this certain style of shoe that I don't have. But I think then I've come like, just remind myself, actually, no, like I have lots of shoes and that, yes, I can get a new pair of shoes if I really want them, but I shouldn't buy them purely because I need to feel like I need to fit in with all these other people at the event. And that's even coming from yeah, like knowing that I'm so in like the sustainability space and like I'm really passionate about it, but definitely still feel like that 
external pressure to like either fit in or be like seen to be having like new or like cool things it's really hard I guess giving yourself a bit of grace with it and like everyone feels like that but then yeah just trying to like really lean into dressing like with your own values and like reminding yourself about that and yeah wearing things that then you feel good in sorry can I just add I think there's some to be said about living within your means so that could be really linked to where you are in your mindset as well so like what you said I was thinking oh what do, what do I wear and I do this every time but if I do look in my wardrobe that there are things I can wear and that's living within my means is it sustainable like not just even in the widest scheme of things but is it sustainable to my pocket is it sustainable to my household is it sustainable to the future that I'm working towards my personal future to go out and buy something for one-time use you know thinking about it in that way is really important and I've got one more thing to say um, back to what you were saying about your work and upcycling I think there's something to be said about the fact that you're creating a solution. And I think more solutions give people less chance to be anxious about things. So you're providing a service that says, this is something that we're all trying to fight. This is what's out there. This is what we have in front of us in terms of the material. And here's a solution. You can create this. You can share this. You can do something. And I think the more solutions we have, the better. And that's why I bring it back to what I said earlier, is that there's a lot of doom news articles and outlets but there's not enough solutions so this is a solution having more conversations is a solution and I guess your mindset is a solution as well if you invest in it enough yeah definitely and off the back of all of that that was exactly what I was going to say funny enough because I think there's such a big link between your personal uh, let's just say your wardrobe and what you're spending and your finances because so many people try to keep up with the latest trends with what's out there the amount of girls that I saw, I was in central London yesterday, all wearing the Loewe jeans that are really trendy and all over Instagram. And I thought to myself, how many of you really got £800 to spend on a pair of jeans? Like, but they probably have enough to buy, like, yarn and thread and yeah. make their own design. Yeah. Yeah. It's literally the same thing. Yeah, it's literally the same thing. I was thing. like, what is that going on? Why am I seeing this all the time? And then I clocked, so I was like, oh. Yeah. There's so many people doing it, but I thought to myself, I was like, you've all bought into this trend. And I'm not going to lie, they're a nice pair of jeans. But I'm not going to be spending that but for the same reason, because I'm thinking about sustainability in the more traditional sense of, is this sustainable for my lifestyle and my pocket and what I'm trying to build with my life? Let me see how many people were in them in a year's time. Yeah. But you'll see them all over secondhand retail sites. Like there was a, I think on Vinted, after the Barbie movie came out, there was, I think, a 900% increase in pink things being sold on Vinted and eBay. I think more specifically Vinted. I can't remember the stat for eBay, but that just goes to show we're still impulse buying. And a lot of it is coming from Gen Z, as much as we all say that they're a lot more with it and climate conscious. They do still buy into the trends and then they do sort of buy and sell a lot quicker. Yeah. So, yeah. I think, especially for Gen Z, like... In terms of psychology, a lot of research says that when we are in our younger ages and we're trying to find ourselves, we tend to try to find ourselves through clothing and through through outfits. Number one, number yeah. one <laughs> perpetrator of that god, yeah. And it's so difficult because you want to give the younger generation a chance to explore and express. And I think doing like changing your style is a great way to figure out who you are and who you aren't it's just hard because they are the generation that most supports this type of you know sustainable behavior but then they're the highest proponents of shopping on like 
fast fashion sites. So it's a really difficult and nuanced type of thing to balance. And it's so hard. And again, you don't want to chastise them too much because they're the ones that are going to have to face the, this issue that we're dealing with. But then it's important for them to know that, yeah, your identity is not completely tied to the things that you can or can't buy. There should be more avenues open for them to express and to find themselves in a different way. I was kind of just probably going to go on a tangent about um, Gen Z being the most climate conscious. I think I think they've been brought up with it being the biggest. That it's they've been completely brought up with it being at the complete forefront and it being an emergency, not a crisis. I think there's just, yeah, like so many nuance in it, and there's so many people really that all are like promoting being more sustainable and so passionate about the environment on like all generations and actually we all need to come together and not just see Gen Z as solving the problem but actually we all are in this and we all yeah have so much yeah solutions and need to work together with it not just being like about Gen Z. It's everyone's problem especially those that created the problem because most of our issues have come from what the past 70 years of industry so think to like my parents grandparents ages I blame all of them really um moving on now to our section on sustainable living and personal well-being so the relationship between sustainable lifestyle choices and individual well-being is really fascinating when we adopt more sustainable practices like reducing waste conserving energy and choosing eco-friendly products it not only benefits the planet but our own well-being Um, So, Chloe, how do you encourage individuals, that was really hard to say just then, to make sustainable choices that also promote their personal well-being? What are some of the sort of examples that you can provide us today of this synergy? Yeah, sure. So, something that I try and practice myself is instead of rushing to answer or rushing to do something, taking a big, deep breath. So I really believe in... I'm covering my face because I do that. It's good. I think it's like it happens when you eat. I think that's what mindfulness is about. It's like before you make any movement, any decision, like taking a deep breath, like thinking about it, I think there's this need to be really quick and like we're on this short space of time that actually there's a lot more time to be had time is obviously a construct as well so the more you lean into that like just take a deep breath think about something before you do it think about what you're going to say before you do it and having that kind of process when you're like buying is really important when you're consuming whatever it is is really important um some of the notes that I made today to think about in terms of what can you do and what kind of tools do you have I think it's really important I said it in my book which obviously is out now as well called take care it's having a mental health toolkit and you can also do the same when it comes to climate control as well you can or climate change or anything that kind of worries you is to have a toolkit and that could be like I said breath work it could be having someone to speak to it could be figuring out what the next steps are um, and having that plan I think it's everyone has a plan for their career but what about having a plan for your actual life and you I guess where you want to be and what that looks like and if you're into sustainability as well like what can you do in the future what is in your five-year plan when it comes to being sustainable or being more mindful I wanted to add as well just in general I think community is a really important part of this whole conversation and I think what we need to do is be more active rather than just waiting for things to happen and then being able to try and 
bring in like preventative cause oh I mean we should try to be more preventative rather than wait for things to happen and when it comes to climate change I think being aware of where you live and the environment around you could be a great way to kind of diminish eco-anxiety is like having a toolkit so for example if you live near somewhere that's like I, I don't know like if they say London is like a massive sink so you know being aware of that and just knowing that if you're scared about something happening like what would be your next your first steps what could you do and I think that really plays into like the nature part as well like where are you living what is around you what are the like the damages that could happen and what part can you play and what is your exit strategy and I don't want to scare people but I mean you know for me if where I live is a building then it's making sure that I have an exit route and know what that exit route is you know and that goes for anywhere that you live I don't know if that's answered your question but those no, are the things I'm thinking about that gives us a lot to think about I think people don't think about their own surroundings so much and I think obviously we have to look at it from the perspective of a western society because we do live in a more metropolitan area most of us we're all in and around London I'm guessing and where you live impacts your life so much if I lived out in the countryside I'm, I'm sorry babe I'm about this close to moving to a farm <laughs> like if you take me to a countryside I'm gonna move there and nobody's gonna bring me back but if I lived somewhere like that where I had a more rural kind of area to be in to be able to get outside to be able to be around animals to be able to grow oh if I could grow my own food oh I'd be the happiest girl in the world. If you follow me on Instagram, I do consider myself to be a farmer now. I grew six tomatoes this summer and four strawberries. <laughs> so yeah, so things like that, it all impacts how you look at your, the world around you, how you look at this climate emergency, not crisis, because you're right, and how you can then take those actions and steps to move forward. We've spoken a bit about conscious consumption and I think it's really key to what we're talking about. And being mindful of what we buy and the environmental impact of our purchases, we can really experience a sense of purpose and fulfilment, as you said. And you've mentioned loads of studies that have shown people who prioritise experiences over material uh, possessions tend to be happier. And this shift towards experiential living aligns with more sustainable living as well. So... I think this is another thing that we can think about where if you've got a friend's birthday group, we've all done it where you've got a massive group birthday and everybody puts together and buys them something. I think in a friendship group, we've kind of stopped doing that. It's let's do stuff together. Let's go out and make memories and experience something, whether that's I'm really hell-bent on next summer going to a vineyard and doing some wine tasting and doing things like that and just having that experience of life instead of constantly feeling that need to consume and buy more stuff. And it doesn't have to be something boozy related. You can just go out, have a little picnic, go for a walk together and doing things like that. So, Shakela, from that sort of psychological perspective, can you explain how conscious consumption and mindful living contribute to improve mental health and overall happiness? Um, God, I feel like, yeah, we've really covered it. Like, it's just about understanding I guess yeah how your your beliefs and your actions like marry up I think when there's that disconnect we experience this thing where oh God, what is it called again it's basically saying that when you oh, self-discrepancy theory so self-discrepancy theory essentially says that when there's a disconnect between who you think you are and like who you actually are portraying to be you feel this discomfort and obviously that can lead to negative emotions like stress and anxiety so it's all about saying like you know if you believe in these things which most people 
people do. And if you look at any survey data, a lot of people will say that, yeah, they want to be more sustainable. They believe in sustainable initiatives. So make sure that you're marrying that up with your actions, because, again, it will just make you feel more grounded in who you are and um, just make you feel more content as well. And just to add to that, it's not about going out and buying a whole new sustainable wardrobe or completely changing everything in your house. It's about changing how you're consuming and making those little differences within your day-to-day life that then give you that positivity, that give you that boost of endorphins, that remind you to keep making those changes and to positively... I always say, like, a good example is, like, buying an energy-saving light bulb but then leaving the lights on all day long. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what's the point? Like, think about, like, the ramifications as well of what you're doing. Like, don't just, like, stop sustainably and then do a massive haul and then you end up, you know, like, giving things away or, like, contributing as well to, like, wastage. Like, again, like, think about the value of things that you are buying and how it's going to add to your story and, like, who you are. I think linking that with joy, like joy is a massive form of resistance. I name it in the book, Audrey Lord actually mentioned it years and years ago. So like leaning into joy and what does that look like? And joy without material, joy without, you know, like you said, experiences, like doing that more is one of the biggest acts of resistance. And, you know, if we look back at COVID and cost of living crisis and hearing the then prime minister saying that, you know, if we want to fight cost of living crisis, then we should get rid of our Netflix and things that's removing our joy which then removes our motivation for doing anything else so step more into your joy get outside do the things that like actually mean something to you that you know you're not going to get a massive tick for or you know people are not going to be you know screaming out in terms of like your popularity online but it's going to fulfill you and that's going to that is like just more sustainable basically and switching off from social media 100% having a lot of people and knowing that it's there for a purpose as well like you know we do it as some of our jobs but at the end of the day it's not real what is real is like what you can see Mm. what you see every day that is what you should be living for not just for the gram yeah definitely definitely I don't want to live for the gram but it's that thing where so many people are doing is it offline 48 offline I can't remember what the hashtag is but something along those lines where they're off for the whole of the weekend so they do like a sign off on a Friday afternoon and don't come back until Monday morning and they go off and they just don't they're not on their phone I love it. Yeah. I think it's a really nice. And that's way fighting to... Instagram. This fighting the system. Yeah. It's like messing up the algorithm. Yeah, and it yeah. just and it goes go. to show that it's their job. When you go to work on your day to day lives, whatever you do, you go to your office, you switch off at five or six pm, depending on where you work, and you don't think about it again until you go home. Sometimes. So why can't we do that with social media and as creators and people who use social media to build their profile? That's another big thing, and I think that that also is a great way of reducing that anxiety associated with that eco element. I just want to look at like a few ways that we can talk about incorporating sustainability into everyday life. Lydia, you're very well versed in this area. What practical tips can you share with our audience for easily integrating sustainability into our daily routines? Yes, so when I read this question, the easily really stood out to me because I actually, I think it is a lot harder being more sustainable. Like the world we live in is built for convenience and that doesn't always, you know, marry up with being more sustainable so I think kind of firstly just acknowledging that it is harder it is more work it is more effort and I guess it's like what Shakela said like living in like how you identify so if you actually do identify as wanting to be more sustainable then actually it is more effort and I think that's okay because I think then you can beat yourself up if you think like oh no I got that plastic coffee cup but actually it's harder to always remember your reusable cup. And I definitely don't always remember my reusable cup. So I think, yeah, firstly, just thinking that it is harder and like 
well done everyone for trying and that's all we can do and that's yeah like back with the progress over perfectionism and then kind of like as a loose guide I think think about where's this product come from and where is it going and that could be like your clothing the food you buy kind of all aspects of how you live your life the impact of how it was made and who made it and then yeah afterwards where will where will this item go will it kind of like be polluting landfill in another country or is it like food packaging where you could have maybe gone to like a more local produce place and bought like a loose item but then again it's all about what you can do that kind of builds on your li- your own lifestyle so like for me just kind of I only have to cater food for myself so it's actually way easier for me to try and buy food not in plastic than for someone else that is maybe doing meals for a lot more people or like yeah so I think it's kind of thinking about what you can do within your own lifestyle and also I think where you spend your money is very important I think we vote with our money and who do you want to give your money to and I think when you think like that you naturally then also can be more sustainable because do you want to give your money which is then resources and then growth do you want to give your money to brands that kind of care about the planet and care about the future or do you want to give your money to people that already have huge amounts of resources and then you're just giving them more and more so then they have more power definitely agree with you moving on to our final section for the evening we're going to talk a little bit about building resilience um, in the face of environmental change so the environmental challenges that we face today such as climate change pollution are all undeniably daunting as we've discussed tonight however it's really essential for all of us to focus on building resilience in the communities and individuals who are facing this yeah every time I think about it it kind of just makes me reset myself because we've had this wonderful conversation tonight and then I go back and think about the people that are really facing this in the global south and people making our clothes making most of our products making most of the things that we consume so Chloe how can communities and individuals prepare themselves mentally and physically to face environmental challenges I know that's quite a very broad question so I'll let you take well, it. I think I kind of answered it before. Maybe I was just jumping the gun. Um, but just so excited to get the info out there. <laughs> Basically. But I just think, you know, being aware of... So I think when it comes to communities, I think it's being aware of what you can do as part of a community. As I said before, it's about addressing things head on rather than waiting for them to just be catastrophic and then dealing with things in more of a crisis mindset. So kind of looking at the areas that you live in, what's around you. I think there was a stat, and I I don't want to say this wrong, but I think some people that are, like, based in, like, the Philippines or other places that are really experiencing, like, climate change, you know, firsthand, their anxiety is going to be through the roof. Like, thinking about what you can do to help those people from where you are, being aware that, you know we are a global community as well, so that if something is happening in the global south or wherever, that it is going to affect us. It's just a matter of time. And although that can be scary, like, what can we do about that now? What can we do about that as a community? And, you know, again, bringing it back to the people that actually have some part to play in this narrative, actually a bigger part to play. What are they doing? How are we going to demand that they make some changes alongside what we're trying to do. And I just think like banging on those doors is really, really important. And I think probably that's where we're going to see the most change. You know, it's really great recycling and it's really great like using reusable cups and all of those things, but that's only going to get us so far. 
And when push comes to shove, that's not what's going to get us out of a, you know, a crisis or an issue. But yeah, legislation is the next step. We're gonna, I'm going to go stand outside the government. Uh, I'm going to go stand outside Parliament and just be like, can you make some changes, please, and stop backtracking? That would be fabulous. But um, Shakela, I want to just talk a little bit about how sustainability affects what it is, fashion and psychology, but more so about how people can actually implement these practical changes. So sustainability, as I said, covers so, such a broad spectrum of areas. It's so much more than just fashion, which I think so many people hear the word sustainability and think fashion now. But we've discussed a million different ways that we can be more mindful tonight and how we can make better choices. But how can the audience actually take that away tonight? And can you provide us with a few practical ways that they can put these things into action? So um, for my book, I thought, you know, there's so many different tips and it can be quite overwhelming. So I came up with a rule, which I think makes things really easy. So it's called the 4321 rule. So anytime you're going to shop for, I've always marketed it as something for fashion, but a lot of the people that have been doing it say that they do it for anything that they're planning to buy. I've tried it and I yeah. feel like you can do it for beauty, yeah. for food really yeah yeah you can yeah so, and i do and i really think it's drastically changed the way i approach consumption so four is think about yourself in four years time so there are studies that say well regarding fashion that we have a dynamic relationship with our clothes that impacts our um the way we see ourselves so the person that we hope to be the person that we fear to be and the person that we are most of the time so the person that we hope to be is often like us like in the future like our best selves like our most sustainable selves like living our best lives the person we are most of the time is kind of like where we're at now like our, our balancing our like imperfections um, with the things that we're like trying to improve on in our day-to-day -day. and then us at our worst selves is typically you know us when we are thinking that we need to buy into the latest trends or doing things that are you know not in line with what we want or like buying it because we're feeling like that pressure so if you think about your four self in four years time that best self is the thing that you're planning to buy going to fit in with that picture that you have if it is great if not then you need to get it and then three speaking back to the creativity element like can you rewear or can you use this thing in like three different ways can you wear it to three different events a lot of times I would buy something like back in the day and I'm thinking okay I'm just going to wear it for that the picture for the gram and then it's kind of it's done like I can't wear it again and like and people tell me that now and I'm just like that's so ridiculous like the thing you so buy like, ago, guys. exactly <laughs> it is like the thing you should be so proud of that thing you bought that you should want to show it off again and again it should be something that's like synonymous with you and your decision and like how you feel like so you want to rewear it and that's something that I've actively done and it's again it's made me feel more proud of the decision that I've made to purchase something because everything we buy and own is a decision I have to think about it, how it fits in with my yeah. lifestyle so yeah, yeah. again because it's bringing you joy like she should be able to get as much joy out of it as possible wherever you're wearing it and then two that speaks back to Chloe's point about two deep breaths so I always say like yeah shopping and consumption is chemical warfare you have the adrenaline you have the the dopamine you know dopamine when you have too much of it from like shoppers high which is a real thing it can cripple areas of your brain that are responsible for weighing up pros and cons. So again, it can make you make silly decisions when you go home, you're like, why the hell did I buy this? Like, this is not me. And then you forget to return it and then it just becomes a whole negative cycle. So again, take those two deep breaths. It helps you to be grounded. Like I said before, stay in the moment, stay in the present and really grapple with if this is a good decision that you're about to make. And then one, I always say like, extend those two deep breaths into one good night's sleep. 
always say that's a great rule if you're planning to do anything risky, anything that you may not be too sure about, sending a risky text, like doing something nonsense, like buying something, (laughs) sleep on it. And a lot of people think, oh, it's going to be gone if I don't have it. Like fashion especially is so cyclical. It will come back. It will in one way or another. Like you'll find it. But we need to get rid of that FOMO, which is ingrained of us. You know, humans are loss of us. We're taught, we're grown up, we're like from back in our hunter-gatherer days, we're taught that, you know, losses loom larger than gains. Like we need to get things now, now, now. So it's it's not easy to just say like, oh, like forget that. But we really need to try to instill that and like make sure that we're giving ourselves enough space to really reassess and understand the value of the thing that we're contemplating buying yeah and that good night's sleep one i think is a good one just for life just generally speaking because too many people do not sleep on it and then they act what's the saying act in haste repent at leisure yeah just don't do that it applies to clothes as well (laughs) and now you consume so one of the inspiring examples of resilience that i've seen comes from the city of rotterdam Facing the threat of rising sea levels, they implemented innovative solutions like floating houses and water plazas to adapt to the climate change. And these efforts not only sort of mitigate environmental risks, but also enhance their overall quality of life. Building that resilience involves not only preparing for and adapting to environmental challenges, but also fostering a sense of community and cooperation. When communities come together to address these challenges, they often become way more resilient and building um, better equipped to thrive in the face of adversity. So I think, I feel like I wanted to raise that point because I think it leads quite nicely into this final question for you, Lydia. Could you share some of the inspiring examples of communities that have shown remarkable resilience in the face of environmental challenges? And is there anything that we can learn from this? Yes, I... The first thing I thought of was in Cantamanto in Accra, which I know you'll know about, and in Ghana. And this is the biggest secondhand clothing market in the world. And they get hundreds of thousands of bales of our clothing basically dumped and, yeah, is polluting their lands and all of that. But in there, I've learned about this from the Orr Foundation, there's so much creativity and it's all they're all reusing these materials and dyeing these fabrics and remaking them. And it's just a whole community and area really who like focusing on waste being a design flaw. I mean, our waste, not their waste, but our waste being a design flaw. And they're just using, yeah, their skills and creativity and they're tailoring to remake it and give it a new life. So I think, yeah, that kind of just that whole mindset of we've already produced enough and what can we remake and turn it into? Yeah. One of the things that I've seen come out from this more recently was uh, remake. Did you see it? Remake our world. Was it them that posted oh, about the labels? The labels. They, yeah, I they know. did a beach clean, and the highest number of labels came from majority of them were British brands. Considering we're one of the smallest nations on this side of the world, most of them were British high street brands. There were quite a few American brands in the top twenty, but in comparison to the size of basically a continent isn't it on its own i think m&s was a really big one to see loads that had just been dumped in in accra h&m Sheehan. and um who else was it there was somebody else adidas adidas and puma were in there as well so they were the brands that were the biggest polluters and i didn't expect m&s to be in there but yeah it's pretty shocking no definitely m&s oh. It's being recorded. It's okay. You can, you can say what you want. You can always M&S cut it. M&S's fashion doesn't do well, so like, stop doing it. Because clearly, like, it's not doing well. <laughs> Sorry, I've worked with them as well, and I think some of their pieces are really nice. But generally, like, they're not doing well on like 
you know, the business side of things. And now to hear that it's one of the biggest numbers that are ending up in these, like, landfill sites is, I mean, it's telling. I'm so, like, petty. It's ridiculous, but it's true. No, I totally agree with you. It's not petty at all. I think it's a really fair point. If... You know that people say if it's if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, it's people love your broken. food. Do that. Yeah, like food. Food so, like invest in sustainable packaging for the food that people like. You know. Thank you so much for listening to this season of Sustainably Influenced. We will be back in January 2024. Until then, please subscribe and listen back to previous episodes of the podcast on all good podcast platforms. You can follow at Sustainably Influenced on Instagram and TikTok. I'm Bianca Foley. Thank you for listening. Thank you to our sponsors, Ernest Jones, for their support in producing this podcast this season. This season of Sustainably Influenced was produced by Content is Queen, sound editor Amber Miller and presented by Bianca Foley.